back to our teaching in the book of John. Now, the last time we were here, we were completing chapter six and dealing with the issue of the feeding, or should I even say, that resulted from the feeding of the 5,000, that great miracle that Jesus did, to the which the people did not perceive what he was saying about himself and how that the miracle should serve as a sign, a sign that to his messianic claim, as well as a sign to his lordship or a sign to his divinity. Remember, that's the whole idea as we work through the gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, word was with God, the word was God, the word was made flesh. The very idea of the gospel of John is presenting Jesus forth, not only as the Messiah to the Jewish people, but also God who became man. But anyway, so the people did not understand the particular signs of Jesus. And therefore, Jesus began to teach the people. Once again, we find that in the gospel of John, we have some of the longest continual teachings of Jesus found in the scripture. So he continued to teach the people concerning himself and the necessity of believing in him. And he styled it in a manner that became repugnant to the people. And that was eat my flesh, drink my blood. But once again, we know that Jesus was speaking spiritually and he was pointing forward to his well soon to be atonement that would take place on the cross his death and burial and resurrection the atonement of christ on the cross for sin that he styled in the sense of eating and drinking many of those people were basically following him in a superficial manner they were called those who believed him but what john was literally saying was their belief was superficial and we saw what happened at the end of the chapter most of those very people who were following him did not follow him anymore even to the point that jesus turned to the remaining 12 disciples of his and said will you leave as well peter spoke for the group and said we basically have nowhere else to go we have come to know and we believe not like the people in their superficial belief but we truly believe that you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, and even amongst you 12, which I have called for myself, I already know one of you is a devil. And basically the chapter ended with that. That is the sense of true election. All right. But now enough about that. We now move into another section in chapter seven. So in this chapter, we see continuing confrontation with the people as well as the religious leaders, and everything is building to a crescendo as we don't have much longer before our Lord actually goes to the cross. But we're going to move into another time. We're moving away from the feeding of the bread to a few months later, probably about, about six months later, and then we're going to see this particular issue that takes place in John chapter seven. So without anything further, let's just go into the text. John seven is quite lengthy. So let's try to break this up into two videos. And there's not a lot of deep theology or, or should I even say theology that would cause you to struggle with, but it is primarily narrative as we see these events unfold that show us how the people are becoming in how the people are indecisive as to the person of Jesus. And we can see that growing climax that we're coming towards in hostility towards Jesus by both 
the religious leaders, as well as the people. We're going to see all of these things. One, after these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the feast of the Jews, the feast of booze, was near. Therefore, his brother said to him, leave here and go into Judea so that your disciples also may see your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers were believing in him. Okay, so now we move to the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, we'll talk about that. So what does it say? Jesus was walking in Galilee. This is basically the north. You, had to re you have to remember, there is basically the north, Galilee, uh, Capernaum, which Jesus made the base or headquarters of his operation, which is in the north. There is also the south, that is Judea, where Jerusalem was, where the temple was. And so you have to understand that division. So Jesus is in the north part of what people may call Palestine, Israel. And it says why he did not want to go down into Judea. Remember, in Judea is Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? The, uh, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rulers of the people. And what were they doing? They were seeking to kill Jesus. And we know they wanted to kill Jesus, number one, because Jesus was referring to himself as God. We see that, remember, in chapter five, when Jesus healed uh, the man at the pool of Bethesda, and Jesus made this reference to himself, or should I even say to God as his own father, and the people wanted to kill him. Why? They understood this reference that Jesus was making concerning himself. He it was calling himself God, making himself equal with God. So the Jewish leaders wanted to kill Jesus, not just simply because he was claiming messiahship, and not only because he was rejecting their teachings, and we want to get into all of that, but all of their external teachings, which were outside of the law of Moses about the Sabbath and other things, but even more so, they wanted to kill him because he was declaring himself to be God. So Jesus, not wishing to, and, and, and I say this in a generic type sense, not wishing to rush his time. In other words, as what we're going to see here, it's not so much as rush because Jesus is going to die on time. He is going to die according to the time set by the father, according to the will of the father in the place where the father wishes him to die, which is in Jerusalem. Or we can basically say outside of the city of Jerusalem. OK, but that's the idea. So Jesus is not so much as rushing his time, but he is going to act in accordance to the timetable of the father. But back to our text. So it says the Jews were willing to kill Jesus. And the time that it says is the feast of booze. Now, you have to pay special attention to this particular occasion because I've seen a number of scholars kind of omit the Jewish custom and thinking as it relates to the Feast of Booth. Now, this was the seventh feast, or this was the, the Jewish, the Jewish, okay. And I'll have time to rehearse all of this, but this is found in the book of Leviticus that deals with the feast days, the feast times of the Jewish people. 
But there were three particular festive times that all Jewish men had to appear before God in Jerusalem. The Feast of the Passover, and it was also Feast of Passover celebrated with Feast of Unleavened Bread, basically as one. The Feast of Weeks, which we call the Feast of Pentecost, and also the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Booths called the Feast of Tabernacles, also called the Feast of Ingathering. This was the seventh feast, okay? And this is that particular feast. But what is important to understand about the Feast of Booths, especially in the climate in this text, as it relates to what is going on, is the Feast of Booths was the time, and we don't want to go through all of the details of it, but commanded by God when, when the Jewish people were to come to Jerusalem and live in booths for seven days. That is, they would get uh, 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 vegetation and make little huts for themselves to live in. And this was to be a memorial, a reminder of how God provided for them in their 40 years in the wilderness, a reminder. But it also came to, to symbolize the idea of joy in the presence of God, and it would be this season of time. It would be this season of time to the which the Messiah would, turn, would return. So the idea of the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles, the same idea, brings in the time, looks forward to the time of peace when all of the Jewish people will be living in peace no longer afraid of their enemies, and they will also be doing very well, all of this accomplished by the Messiah. So when the Messiah will come, he would bring about peace for the nation. And they began to believe that it will be during the idea of the Feast of Tabernacles here, the Feast of Booze, same thing now, Feast of Booze, that the Messiah would come. And this is why you see the brothers of Jesus speaking to him this way. Verse number three, what happens? His brothers, that is Jesus's own flesh and blood brothers, the brothers and sisters that he had from Joseph that he shared, the brothers and sisters of Mary and Joseph. We know G Jesus's father was God himself, but nevertheless, Mary and Joseph had additional children. And these brothers of Jesus had said to Jesus, notice they were urging him, leave from Galilee and doing what you're doing, showing the signs that you're showing. See, that's the idea, doing what you're doing, performing the signs and the wonders. What is the point of the signs and the wonders? Declaring they are attesting to Jesus's claim. What is Jesus claiming to be? The Messiah the son of God. So the brothers of Jesus are saying, it's not in Galilee that the Messiah will be recognized, that the Messiah will be received. If you are claiming to be the Messiah and doing all of these works, you should go down to Jerusalem and especially now, what now? The Feast of Booze. Why? It is the expectation of the Jewish people that the Messiah should come during the Feast of Booze, Tabernacles, Sukkot, that the Messiah should come and bring about peace. So if you are truly the Messiah that you say that you are, 
Now is the perfect time for you to go yourself, go show yourself to the people and make this claim at the feast. And this is what Jesus's brothers are saying to him. This is the perfect time. The expectation of the Messiah is for booze, is for this time, for booze tabernacles. Now, if you are who you really say that you are, go show yourself because if you truly want to be known and accepted by the people as the Messiah, you're not going to be doing your miracles in Galilee in secret. You're not going to be doing your miracles at a place where people really don't know much of you. You are going to go to our very center of worship. If you indeed seek to be known and received and believed to be our Messiah, go to the feast, show yourself, make your claim there. And that's what his brothers are saying to him. Okay. Show yourself to the world. Make that public statement in your signs and your wonders at this feast. And then in verse number five, it simply says in a very sad note that Jesus brothers did not even believe in him. That is, even though they themselves were well aware, well aware of the signs and wonders that he did because they just made reference to these things still God had not done a work on their heart. And I said that particularly so you'll pay attention on it. Yes, they were stubborn of heart at this time. To, to, they saw the signs just like the rest of the people still did not believe. But remember what Jesus continually said in John chapter six. If you were given of my father, you would believe. But at this time, the father had not done a work on the hearts of Jesus's own brothers, his own family, and they did not believe in him. People who saw him, listened to him, watched him closer than anybody else, and yet they themselves did not believe. Why? It takes a work of God on the heart for a person to believe. But the sad note, again is Jesus' own brothers did not believe that he was indeed the Messiah. So they're urging Jesus to go, since you're saying all of that, proclaim to be that in Jerusalem at the Feast of Booths. Let's continue. We don't want to make it no longer than necessary. So Jesus said to them in verse number six, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify of it that his deeds are evil. Go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to this feast because my time has not yet fully come. Having said these things to them, he stayed in Galilee. But when his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he himself also went up, not publicly, but as if in secret. Okay, now let's deal with this issue. So what happens? Jesus responds to his brothers and simply says, my time is not here, yet here. Remember what I just said to you. Jesus always does things according to the will of the Father. He does things according to God's set timetable. And notice the issue here is the presentation of Jesus to be received as the Messiah in the context, in the what? Context of the Feast of Tabernacles. Same thing, booze, Sukkot, you're saying the same thing, okay? 
So in the context of the Feast of Booze, for Jesus to present himself and to be accepted and welcomed as the Messiah. That's our context that we're beginning here. Now, the reason why I emphasize that is for two reasons. Jesus would say, my time has not yet come on a number of occasions. One of the reasons he would say his time has not yet come was, as I was saying earlier, in the generic sense, Jesus would not uh, 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 force the issue because Jesus was sin of God the Father to come into this earth and to minister for a set period of time. And then after that ministry was completed, he would be killed by the rulers of the people, both Jew as well as the Gentile. And then he would die, rise from the dead after three days. That was the plan of the father. And it was said that it might be fulfilled during the time of the Passover, to the which I'm not going to get into. I'm not going to get into that. But the time was set of the father. Sometimes Jesus would deal with my hour is not yet come or the scriptures would say for his hour had not yet come as it looked forward to as it looked forward to the time to which Jesus would die on the cross to simply say before that time, before the set time of God, the father, that Jesus should die on the cross, which would be during the Passover season when Jesus actually died, nothing could ever happen to Jesus to, to that he should die sooner, that he should die any other way. He must die in the manner that the father has prescribed and he must die at the time that the father had prescribed. So nothing would happen to him, nor would he himself do anything to disturb that time. So that's one way of understanding it. But I submit to you with a stronger context. What are they saying? This is the feast of booze where the Jews expect the Messiah to come, where the Jews expect the Messiah, whoever he should be, to bring peace. You, our dear brother Jesus, are claiming to be the Messiah. Is this not an opportune time? This is the best time. What time is it? It's the Feast of Booth. Who are you claiming? You're claiming to be the Messiah. What are you doing? You're doing all of these signs, but you're doing it in Galilee. This is not the place. If you want to be accepted, go to the temple. Go to Judea, where the Messiah is expected to be and where the Messiah will be received. This is what they're saying. So Jesus is saying his hour is not yet come, not in so much as looking forward to the cross here, but his time to come to the people to be accepted as Messiah. That hour is not yet come. And let me even say that hour has yet to come. The time for Jesus to return to the earth, the time for Jesus to be accepted by the Jews as the Messiah, the time for Jesus to return and bring world peace. That hour is still present tense. It still has not yet come. So that's what I believe Jesus is simply saying here, not so much as the hour to his crucifixion, for indeed, indeed, his crucifixion must come first. 
And then following after his crucifixion, that's what we call the second coming of Christ, will be the Feast of Tabernacles when the Jews would dwell in peace because of what the Messiah has done or will do. So that time has not come. But nevertheless, so he looks at his brothers and simply says, but it's time for you. You can always go. Why? Because the world hates me. I speak of the evil that the world does, and therefore the world will not accept me. But you, in your faithlessness, you, my dear brothers, who do not believe in me, you are still a part of the world. And the world does not hate its own because you are of the world. It is always time for you to go because what? You are of the world system and the world hates me. So you see how that season of time is really being established. There will come a time when the Jews will receive Jesus. There will come a time, but as it exists then and as it continues to exist, even now, the world hates the Messiah. And therefore, until the time set of the father, he will not bring tabernacles. But anyway, I don't want to get into all of that. I'm dealing with the prophetic time clock of God's calendar. So Jesus simply says he's not going to the feast because his time has not yet fully come. And this does also. Now, this also infers looking to the cross and it also looks forward to the ultimate fulfilling of Christ when he returns the second time. So Jesus does not go with them, but it seems that this either Jesus was not telling the truth or something is not something is wrong with the scripture. That's what some would dare say, but that's not the case because notice what it says. He stayed in Galilee. Then it says once his brothers had gone up to the feast, Jesus later on went up to the feast, but not publicly. Now that's your key, but not publicly. So I thought Jesus says he was not going to the feast. Why is it that it says just a few verses later that Jesus actually later on went to the feast? That's when you need to understand what the brothers were saying to Jesus. What? I just established all of this. This is the feast of booze tabernacles. This is the expected time when the Jews believed that the Messiah should show himself to the Jewish people, the presentation of the Messiah. And in doing these things, he would bring peace. The Messiah will come in the feast of tabernacles. They expected this. Jesus said, I will not go to Jerusalem to present myself in this way. Remember, the presentation of the Messiah is a public presentation. And that's why we see Jesus not going up at the beginning of the feast, because he is not presenting himself publicly to the people as the Messiah during this feast time. But what does he do as an obedient Jew? Because Jesus is going to keep all the law of Moses. And remember, the law commanded that all Jewish males should present themselves at this feast. Jesus is going to keep the law perfectly, but he is not going to do what his brothers are asking him. Present himself during tabernacles as the Messiah 
in the Jewish mind, yes, he has now come at this time. Yes, he is coming to fulfill the hopes of the Jewish people as the Messiah. He did not come in this manner. That's why it says he, he went later, but not publicly. That's your key. If he had gone publicly, he would have been fulfilling the desire of his brothers. Remember the brothers who didn't believe him? Show yourself to the world. What is he doing? He's going, but he is not showing himself to the world. He is not presenting himself as Messiah in the feast. He is not doing that. So this is not a contradiction in scripture or a lie that Jesus told. Jesus is not doing what his brothers wanted him to do. Show himself as Messiah during this festive expected time. No, he didn't do that, but he still went, but not in this expectation. Okay. That's why I said as if in secret continuing 11. So the Jews were seeking him at the feast and were saying, where is he? There was much grumbling among the crowd concerning him. Some were saying he is a good man. Others were saying, no, on the contrary, he leads the people astray. Yet no one was speaking openly of him for fear of the Jews. And so now all we basically see is this during the feast, because see, you see the expectation here in the same vein of the brothers, Feast of booths, Messiah is supposed to come. We've been hearing this Jesus proclaiming that he is the Messiah. So where is he? And so people are just like the brothers. They're looking for Jesus during this festive time. And so they, they're beginning to grumble. They, some are believing, well, maybe he might be the Messiah. And then they say, well, I don't know if he's the Messiah. Some saying he's just a good man. And then you got other people saying, no, his false teachings He's leading the people astray. He is speaking falsely. What does he do? What, do we, what have we been seeing? And we're going to see this later in the text. He, been, he, he breaks the Sabbath. That's what some of the, the leaders were saying. And we remember, just go all the way back to John chapter 5 when Jesus healed the man at Bethesda. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus told him to carry his pallet. And the people got upset when they saw the man carrying his pallet claiming Jesus was breaking the Sabbath day. There are other things of Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath day and Jesus doing other things on the Sabbath day. He misleads the people. He also is going about claiming to, to be the Messiah. He is even going about claiming, as we see in the book Gospel of John, he is equal with God. Make it this man is deceiving the people. So what do we have? During the Feast of Booths, the people are undecided about exactly who Jesus is. But at the same time, even though they're undecided, there's this move towards the negative. They really are not accepting him according to his claim. They are not believing what he is saying about himself. Okay, but nevertheless, because there was such a fear of the leaders, the people, even though they were musing about these things, they didn't speak openly about Jesus. But notice what you have, the expectation of seeing Jesus at the Feast of Booth. They wanted some sort of pronouncement or some sort of pre presentation of him themselves. All right. But now let's continue. 14, but when it was now the midst of the feast, 
Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were then astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? So Jesus answered them and said, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak from myself. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who is seeking the glory of the one who sent him, he is true and there is no unrighteousness in him. All right. So now it's now the midst of the feast. Remember the Feast of Tabernacle was a seven day feast. Okay. Seven day with an additional Sabbath, but midst of the feast has now come. Jesus is now there and he goes into the temple and began to teach. Once again, the teachings of Jesus is so astonishing to the people that they begin to marvel at his teaching and wonder, say, now how does this man have such knowledge of scripture when he himself has never been educated? That is, educated in some of their schools, in some of the schools of the Pharisees and things of that nature. Jesus did not receive his education from there, as we would say it nowadays, from their seminaries, from not being taught, not being taught by any of their great rabbis like the apostle Paul, who himself said he sat at the very feet of Gamaliel, one of the chief rabbinic teachers during his particular day. They were saying, now, how does Jesus have all of this knowledge? And he's never been to one of the rabbinic schools. He is from Galilee. And remember, they had this condescending attitude about Galilee. Galilee is considered to be nothing. If you really want to go to one of the great schools, you would go to one of the schools in Judea. All right. One of the great rabbinic schools. But nevertheless, Jesus astonished them with his teachings. They did not understand Isaiah chapter 50, how Jesus was taught by God himself. And this is what Jesus began to say. His teaching is not derived of himself. His teaching comes from God, the one who sent him. But now here is the very important verse. And here is where I want to do a little preaching, but I'm going to resist that urge right now. 17. If anyone is willing to do his will, he would know of the teaching, whether it's of God or whether I speak of myself. So Jesus is simply saying, if the person's, if an individual's heart was set to do the will of God, they would understand the nature of where Jesus derives his teaching. That is, Jesus' teaching comes from God. What Jesus is simply saying is this, and here's where I want to preach. If a man's heart, if a person's heart is set to do the will of God, you understand better the word of God. But if you have all of these blockades in your mind, blockades in your spirit, if you are self-willed, so that's why Jesus said, my teaching is not my own. It's not about me. It's not of my will. It's not my teaching derived from me because I want to do what I want to do. My teaching comes from the one who sent me from the father. And what? Likewise, if you in your heart truly want to do the will of God, then you will understand the very source of my teachings and you will know my teaching come from God. Now, you guys should be able to read between the lines on what I want to preach about. I'm saying the same thing to you. 
If you truly in your heart desire to do the will of God, you will begin God, God by his own grace. And notice what I just said, because it has to be done by the enabling grace, the enabling spirit of God. God will enable you to understand teachings of the truth. If you desire to do his will. But if you have something in your mind, I have been taught this all my life. I have believed this all my life. This is what the churches teach. This is what my pastor teach. This is what my you will never understand the true teachings. You will never possess the depth of the knowledge that God would give you if you were willing to be obedient if you were willing to simply receive whatever he has to say. And this is something, let me testify. I'm going to testify. This is something that I said to my God years ago concerning the scripture. I don't care what the scripture says. I don't care how I feel about it. It matters not to me. All I want you to do, Lord, is Make me understand it. Show me what you are trying to say. And it doesn't matter what you say. If you tell me to go to the hill and jump, amen, your will be done. I just want to understand it. And this is what Jesus is saying to these people. They're wondering about his source of knowledge. And Jesus is simply saying, my source comes from God. And if you were willing to be obedient to God, then guess what? You would understand my knowledge. You would understand its source and you would understand its content. And that's as far as I'm going to go with all of that. But anyway, that's the point of strength, right? And Jesus simply says at the end of verse number 18 in this passage where we are now, he is not seeking his own glory and, and, Okay, I'm no, they were no, I'm not gonna preach. But that needs to be done in the church today. That's the reason why we have so many false teachings today. That's the reason why we have so many false doctrines today. That's the reason why there is so little understanding, little understanding of true biblical knowledge amongst God's people is because the so-called preachers, pastors, and teachers today are seeking their own will. They're seeking their own will. They are seeking their own glory. It's about them. It's about their little institution. It's about their little pet doctrines. It's about their denomination. But it's not about God. What did Jesus just say? He who speaks of himself. It's about you. It's about what you think. You are seeking your own glory. But Jesus says he's not seeking his glory, but the glory that comes from the father. And that's where truth is found. When we are seeking to glorify God and God alone, let it be the very mantra of your life. To God alone be the glory. And this is the very truth Okay, I'm preaching. Fine, fine, fine. The very truth of all the scriptures. Once you begin to perceive, not simply the stories that you find from Genesis to Revelation, not just simply little pet doctrines, 
But once you holistically see, perceive, and understand the Bible as a whole, you will understand the message of God in the scriptures is a singular message. To God alone be the glory. That is the singular message of the whole Bible. If you had to take the Bible and say, what is the one message, the one conclusive message that the Bible is trying to give in all of scripture? To God alone be the glory. That is the message. That is why even in our salvation, it is God who saves. It is God who begins all of these things. It is Jesus Christ, author, one who begins, finisher, the one who brings to completion. What? Our faith. Salvation is God's alone. Glory to God alone. God does according to his will alone. And that is the message of the scripture. Okay, wasn't supposed to go there, but I'm halfway glad I did. But anyway, and basically this is what Jesus is saying. The one who seeks the glory of God, that's no unrighteousness in that. There's always unrighteousness in pride. There's always unrighteousness when you seek to please yourself. But when you are seeking to please God and doing those things that are pleasing to him, such a one you cannot find unrighteousness. And this is the whole quibble and quarrel that they have about Jesus and what he's saying and the things that he is doing. Is he right? Is he wrong? What? What's the whole issue concerning Jesus? And then he even here, what? Where does he get this wonderful knowledge that he gives? But let's go on. 19, Jesus continues on with an example to show their hypocrisy, to demonstrate their hypocrisy. Did not Moses give you the law? And yet none of you carries out the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, you have a demon. Who seeks to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one deed and you all marvel. For this reason, Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. And on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me because I made an entire man well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Okay, so let's talk about it. So whole issue in their back of their mind, especially with respect to the religious leaders the hypocrisy of Jesus, the unrighteousness of Jesus, and namely because Jesus was doing certain things on the Sabbath day. And again, John chapter five, calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus is a sinner, an unrighteous man. So what does he say? He shows their hypocrisy, calling, trying to say he's unrighteous. He says, you are unrighteous. What is the example? He said, consider what Moses has done. Moses gave the law. That is the law of Moses. Those 613 commandments found in Exodus through Deuteronomy. He gave the law of Moses, but guess what the reality is? None of you actually keep the law. So here he is simply calling them hypocrites. Now notice what he does. Uh, uh, why do you seek to kill me? Now, that's also a relationship to the law because number one, to kill a man unlawfully is breaking of the law. 
to kill a man unlawfully is breaking of the law. But here Jesus makes, he lets them know he is aware namely of the religious leaders, especially of the religious leaders. When you hear me say namely, that means especially of the religious leaders that they had a desire to kill him. So Jesus said, why do you want to kill me? The idea is I have broken no law of Moses that would warrant you to kill me. But you in trying to act as if you are keepers of the law, you are a hypocrite. Why are they desiring to kill Jesus? As the rest of this passage worked out, you make you understand what's going on. Notice what happened. First of all, the response of the crowd. And I don't want to get into great details of that, but the crowd responded to Jesus. You have a demon. Now, I'm not going to get into great detail about that. Go look at the video that I did in Matthew chapter 12 about the crowd saying that Jesus was demon possessed. It was, we see this is ongoing. The people are holding on to this per perception. This perception that Jesus was demon possessed was first put in their minds by the religious leaders. You see that in Matthew chapter 12, of course, go watch the video. But it was because of this that Jesus withdrew his offer of messiahship to the people, okay? As the people are holding on to the fact that saying, saying, Jesus is demon possessed. It shows you the direction that they're going in. Remember what I said earlier. The people were musing. Is he the Messiah or not? Is he a good man or not? Does he deceive the people or not? They're kind of, well, which one is easy? But clearly now you can see the people are moving towards a negative assessment of Jesus. Why? They just said Jesus has a demon. And remember, as I said earlier, it is because of this statement of Jesus saying that Jesus had a demon. Jesus withdrew his offer of messiahship to the people. He would no longer be their king. And this is when we see Jesus began from that day forward, began to speak to the people in parables. But we're not there yet. But at the same time, we can see the negativity that the people are having towards Jesus and saying that he was demon possessed. So Jesus responds to these people, number one, concerning that they are hypocrites when it comes to keeping the law. When the truth of the matter is Jesus is the righteous one because he has not been speaking of himself. He has been speaking to glorify the father. The people are not concerned with this. Jesus continued to give them example of their breaking of the law. What? Moses has given you circumcision, not because it is from Moses, but from the fathers. So let me just break that down so you'll understand it. In the law, we'll find out what is it? It's in Leviticus. Can't remember exactly where is it? 12, 23 or something like that. In Leviticus, Moses gave them the circumcision. That is on the eighth day of a, of a boy, on the eighth day after he's born, you circumcise the male child. This was a made firm in the law, but this was not, this was not derived from the law. What do I mean? It was God himself who spoke to Abraham, Genesis 17, I believe it is, who commanded all, all of his sons to be circumcised on the eighth day. That's what Jesus mean when he says, not by, not that it comes from Moses, but from the father's. This was an ancient tradition that God had given hundreds of years before Moses was ever born. 
when Moses was born and after God gave Moses the law, this was codified into the law as a statute, as a commandment under Moses. So that's what he means. Not because it is from Moses, from the fathers. But nevertheless, he says, on the Sabbath, you circumcise a man. So if, if on the eighth day after a child is born, on that eighth day, it happens to be a Sabbath day, the people will still circumcise a man. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. So you got a baby who was born uh, eight days before the Sabbath day. So on the eighth day, what is supposed to happen? You're supposed to circumcise him. This is from the fathers as well as codified in the law of Moses. But what are you supposed to do on the Sabbath day? No work on the Sabbath day. But Jesus said, nevertheless, if on the eighth day it falls on the Sabbath day, you will circumcise a man. Now think about what he is saying in the circumcision. You are actually cutting away the foreskin of the flesh of a man. You are cutting away of the man. You are taking away from his flesh. But the point is, is bringing in two concepts. Jesus is bringing in, he is bringing in the concept of you working on the Sabbath day. That's their hypocrisy circumcising a man on the eighth day so that the law of Moses may not be broken. And the second concept Jesus is bringing in, you are taking away from the man. Why? In the circumcising of the man, you are cutting away his flesh. So what does he continue to say? If a man receives, verse number 23, circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses will not be broken, are you angry with me? Because I made a man whole. So notice in the circumcision, you're taking away from the man. And even and, and the idea is this taking away circumcision is by commandment. And why are you angry with me? If I'm not taking away from the man, I'm making a man whole on the Sabbath. You, you see the idea cutting away on the Sabbath and Jesus making whole on the Sabbath, but in both ideas, whether cutting away, you permit, you permit that and you say nothing wrong with it and me making whole and you're saying something is wrong with that. Both are bringing in the idea of activity on the Sabbath day. That's the idea. So Jesus is trying to show them their hypocrisy. What? On the Sabbath day, you circumcise and even take away from a man on the Sabbath day activity. And I, on the Sabbath day, make a man whole. Refer right back to what? The pool of Bethesda when the man was crippled and Jesus said, take up your bed and go to your own house or whatever. But the whole point is I made him whole again activity on the Sabbath day. Why is it you can do activity that takes away to fulfill the law and I can do activity that heals and make whole? Why am I the one wrong when we are both doing activity on the Sabbath day? He is showing them their hypocrisy and he is also showing them their wrong think, their wrong way of thinking. That's why he said, do not judge according to simple appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you yourself are doing, circumcising on Sabbath day activity, and think about what I'm doing. I'm making whole on the Sabbath day. Am I really violating the Sabbath day by making a man whole? 
Think clearly about what you are saying and reassess your determination of what you're saying about me. Because remember, Jesus started all of this saying, why do you seek to kill me? And why were they seeking to kill him? Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath day. Okay, but now let's go on. 25. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? Look, he is speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him. The rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. But whenever the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Okay, so now what happened? As Jesus is speaking very publicly to the people, especially language directed to the leaders of the people, all right? Some of the people that are in Jerusalem, because remember now, Jesus is not as well known in Jerusalem as he is known in Galilee. But nevertheless, the people in Jerusalem have come to learn how the religious leaders were seeking to take Jesus by force and seeking to kill Jesus. So they understood that they became aware of somewhat in some way, what the leaders were seeking to do towards Jesus, that is to kill him. So they're saying, what is not this man they're seeking to kill Jesus. But guess what? He is right here. He's speaking publicly and no, they're not bothering him now. Well, why aren't they bothering? Why aren't the leaders? And this is what the people are musing. This is what they're wondering. If they were really seeking to kill Jesus earlier, are they now beginning to believe that he is the Messiah? And this is what they're saying. Notice what it, verse number, uh, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the rulers do not really know that this is the Christ, do they? Now, I don't want to bring you guys into Greek grammar, but there's the usage of the part, the negative particle may that demands a negative answer. Okay, I'm not going to take you guys there. I just simply say it this way. They are, it is clear, especially if you read the Greek text, that there uh, answer that the, sup the supposition to their question is demanding a no answer. The leaders are not actually beginning to believe that Jesus is the Christ. I know they're not. Are they? No, they're not. So they're not looking for a positive response. The people are looking towards a negative response. So again, what was I saying to you? The people aren't so much trying to make a decision about Jesus. Yeah, this idea is present, but the sense of overall moving in the direction of negativity, rejection of Jesus, that's the atmosphere. They're like, yeah, I don't know who he is. I don't know where he's supposed to be, but really, I don't, I'm really not accepting who he is. And that's the mindset of the people at this time. So notice once again, verse number 27, they start moving back to the origin of Jesus. Remember, that's what we saw in chapter six, when Jesus said, I come down from heaven. I am he who come down from heaven. I am sent from the father. And the people had a hard time with that. We know Jesus father. We know Jesus mother. So they supposed. Again, we have the same argument that is being presented here in verse number 27. We know where this man is from. They believe that Jesus is from Nazareth, his father and his mother, Joseph and Mary. But once again, they really did not know that Jesus was miraculously conceived of the Holy Spirit. 
and his mother Mary was a virgin and Joseph was a stepfather and not his true father. They did not truly know that Jesus existed before he became a human being. Jesus came down from heaven. They did not really know that in the beginning he existed in the very form, Philippians chapter 2, in the very form of God himself. They did not know of his origins even though they believe that he did. But now, once again, we turn to the idea, go back and check out some of the stuff we talked about in chapter six. We turn back again, some of the quarreling and confusion of the origins of Jesus. Where did he come from? And the people are saying, we know where this man come from. And remember, they believe he comes from Galilee and Galilee is thought to be nothing. Nothing, as we're going to see at the very end of this discussion, when the, and I don't supposed to get here, but they're going to say, no prophet comes out of Galilee. So you sure know that ain't no Messiah is going to come out of Galilee. And that becomes the issue here. All right. So let's move on. Verse number 28, still dealing with the issue of origin. Then Jesus cried out in the temples, teaching and saying, you both know me and you know where I am from. So you say, and I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. I know him because I am from him and he sent me. So Jesus uses their own words. Yes, you say you know me, but you really, there's a really twist of tongue that Jesus is using here. He is not saying, indeed, you know where I'm from, because you see that in verse number 29. But so you say you know me. That's the idea. So you say you know where I'm from. And indeed, you saw me. You saw me as a child. Indeed, you saw me in the family of Joseph and Mary. You saw me in Nazareth of Galilee. So you say and so you believe. Right. But then again, he who sent me is true whom you don't know. That's the reference to God. So here's the problem that he begins to make. He who sent me is true who you don't know. The reference is back again to God, even an implied reference back to what? Their hypocrisy, because if they truly knew God, they would try to keep the law of Moses. And if they tried to keep the law of Moses, they would not, they would recognize the one sent by God. They would recognize the Messiah and they would not be seeking to kill him. The reason why you're seeking to kill Jesus is you don't know God yourself. But back to the text. So he says, no. You do not know me. That's verse number 29. The God you don't know, I know him. Jesus is claiming intimate, personal knowledge of God. Why? Because I am from him and he sent me. And here's where Jesus applies the correction. You think that you know me of my origin of Joseph and Mary from Nazareth, from Galilee. But indeed, you don't know me because you don't know my father. I know my father. And guess what? Even though born of human flesh, I am from Nazareth and Galilee, born of human flesh. I existed before then, and therefore I proceeded from the father. This is my true origin from heaven itself. And it is the father who sent me. 
your so-called knowledge and understanding of my origins are imperfect, incomplete. I am from heaven. And Jesus tries to settle that once again. Now let's continue. Notice with the issue of coming from the father, it implies, it implies pre-existence. And in that great implication of pre-existence, it implies divinity. Again, it implies that he is God. Again, fitting in with the overall theme of John's gospel. What? In the beginning was the word, words with God, word was God, and God, the word was made flesh. Fitting in with that overall theme, they understand that what Jesus is speaking of is having a divine origin. That is, he is implying that in some way he is God. How? Look at what happens and watch the response of the people as Jesus just spoken of coming from God, be with God. Look how they begin to respond. Verse number 30. So, and actually in the Greek, that is the word, um, which we normally translate, therefore, that is predicated upon something that just happened. So what? They were seeking to seize him and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come, but many of the crowd believed in him and they were saying, when the Christ come, he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? Let's stop. Again, what was I just saying? The people understand as Jesus began to talk about his origin, not of flesh. So you know me from Joseph. And me, mm, my origin is of the father. They understand he is implying divine nature. How do you, how do you know this? Because of the reaction of the people, because nobody will want to take you seize you. And remember Jesus said, why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me? And that's what the idea of seizing him mean. They wanted to grab him and have him put to death. How do you know they wanted to not just simply arrest him? How do you know they wanted to put him to death? The Bible said his hour had not yet come. What did I tell you earlier in this very teaching? You have to understand from the issue of what? First of all, what? Feast of booze, the hour that Jesus talked about, the hour of his presentation as Messiah. And also, too, what do we see in the scripture? Jesus talking about his hour. He would not do things to promote his death. His hour had not yet come. You see people, the Gentiles, the Greeks coming to see Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, John chapter 12. What is the idea of hour? Unless uh, uh, the seed be put into the ground, fall to the ground and die, it remains alone. But if it fall to the ground and die, if I, if I be lifted up, I draw all men unto myself. The hour of his death. So why were the people trying to seize Jesus? So that they may put him to death. Why would the people put Jesus to death if he's talking about, well, I just come from Nebraska. No, he said, I come from the father and they understand that Jesus said, wait a minute. You're trying to say you have divine origin. Are you trying to go again with this preaching? You are God. Are you trying to go again with this preaching? You have a pre-existence that you are before flesh itself. Who do you make yourself out to be? And the people, once again, are moved to anger to grab him, to seize him by force and put him to death. But what does it say? Back again to the text. Seeking to No man laid, eye, laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. 
even though it was the heart and the mind of the people to put G to seize him, put him to death, to make, go to that hour. Hour had not yet come. Remember when I said to you at the very beginning of this video, it is God the Father who sent Jesus into the world at the time of his will. It was God's the Father plan that Jesus should die at the time that Jesus should die. It is the plan and will of God the Father that Jesus should die in the place that Jesus should die. It is the plan of God the Father that Jesus should die in the manner in which he will die, that is to be crucified. As it is written, cursed is he who hangs from a tree. And as the Bible teaches through the mouth of Paul, that he became an accursedness so that we might receive the blessings of God. He was cursed for our sake, cursed away from God. So that's the idea that he should bear the penalty of our sins. He should be our substitute. What am I trying to say? The hour for Jesus' death had not come. It was not the Passover season when Jesus should die. It was not so much in Jerusalem at this time that Jesus should die. So therefore, even though they had a desire to kill him, the sovereign providential hand of God would not allow the people to do anything to Jesus because it was not on the timetable that God had not set, nor in the prescribed manner, nor in the prescribed way. Jesus must die according to the pre-purposed plan of God. This was not the plan. So therefore, notice what the scripture said. No man and the idea is not a they're not able, even though they desire to do it. The hand of God says, mm -mm, not now and not today, not in this manner and not in this place, not in this way. And so what happens? They were not able to lay hands on him. Why? Hour had not yet come. When the time comes for him to die, according to the will of the father, they will be able to do what? Arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. They will be able to lead him before Pontius Pilate. They will be able to take him and lay him on that wooden beam that we call the cross and crucify. They will be able to when the hour come, but because this is not the hour, the plan and the will of God, God says no. Okay, enough preaching. But nevertheless, there is still that divisiveness we see in the crowd because as Jesus is speaking publicly, some are beginning to have a superficial, notice what I just said, and go back and look at what we taught in John chapter six at the end of chapter six. Because their true belief, some of these very people are going to later on be asking for, calling for his crucifixion. So their belief is still superficial, but nevertheless, we still see what the division in the people. Well, is he the Christ or is he not? And they begin to think, well, if he is the Christ, well, if when the Christ actually does come, will he actually perform more signs than Jesus has already done? And the idea again is that Greek negative particle may, which means no, the people are expecting somewhat of a negative answer. So here's the, they say, well, then it isn't. Jesus has done all of these signs. You know, we, we have issues about what he's saying about himself and his origin and about what he's doing on the Sabbath day and blah, 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 blah. We have issues, but we still find it difficult 
to overcome the signs. Because if indeed he's not the Messiah, why is he able to do all of these signs? And if Messiah is a different person, once he does come, will he do more signs than Jesus has done? And so this is going to cause problems. And this is what this is the direction of the passage here. The Pharisees are hearing this. They're learning the people begin to wonder even more so about whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. And we know the Pharisees have already made their minds up to reject Jesus as the Messiah. There is absolutely nothing that Jesus can do to convince the leaders that he is the Messiah. This is already determined by them. Answer is no. But remember, they want the support of the people. And they want the people also to go along with them in their rejection of Jesus. Now they are going to begin to hear that the people are now wondering, you know, they're thinking about this Jesus being the Messiahship. So now let's continue with all of that. Verse number 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Therefore, Jesus said, for a little while longer, I am with you. Then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now, let's we got to break this down a little bit so we can see what's going on. Turn the theater of your mind on. Remember that one of the last things they said was the people wanted to receive, wanted to seize Jesus, but they could not. They could not. The providential hand of God, the sovereign hand of God would not allow Jesus to be taken and killed before his time. And in the manner and by means in which God himself had prescribed according to his will, God would not permit it. But nevertheless, what the Pharisees were beginning to hear the people musing about Jesus's claim to be Messiah. So what did they do? They want to stop this mess right now. We don't want Jesus to make no more inroads into the minds of the people. We don't want the people believing that this Jesus who is a demon possessed man is the Messiah. So they sent soldiers to go and arrest Jesus right now. This is the wrong time. This is the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Boo, where people have all of these messianic expectations. And now Jesus comes showing up and the people start to go back again with this, whether he is or whether he's not, he's doing the same. Arrest him now. We need to stop this mess right now. But don't forget that God's hand was present there. Don't forget that as we move to the text. God's hand is present. It's not his time even though at first the people wanted to seize him, now the Pharisees have sent soldiers to seize Jesus. What will happen? You already know, but let's go on back to our text. So when they did that, Jesus understood and he began to say, a little while I'm with you, but then I go to him who sent me. You'll seek me and not be able to find him because I'm returning home and where I'm going, you cannot come. We already know Jesus speaking soon, he will be crucified and soon after three days, he will rise from the dead after being crucified and he will be on this earth for a little while. The scriptures teach us about 40 days, space of 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus was with us and then he ascended to heaven to the right hand of God, the father. So soon the people will be looking for him, but they won't find him. He will have risen from the dead. He will have ascended into heaven. They will not find him. But guess what? They will look for him. And even the idea, they will desire him. And I don't want to get into that. 
because we looked even now, even now the people of Israel, the Jewish people reject Jesus, but there will come a day as Zechariah say, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son. There will come a time, as Hosea say, they will begin to pray unto God for the third day. They will look for his return. And I'm not going to get into all of those things. Sorry to keep you hanging. They will look for him. They will desire him. And then he will return. But here in this context, Jesus simply saying, you're going to look for me and you're not going to find me. Why? Jesus will have ascended back to where he came from, just like he told you. I told you I came down from heaven and I will return back to heaven. And again, he said in John chapter six, well, what if you see the son of man return to where he was before? He keeps saying, I came from heaven. My origin is from heaven. And this is the place I will return. But here he speaks where I'm going, you cannot come. And that is to heaven. Why? They are unbelievers. They do not believe in him as Messiah, son of God. And so therefore they have no place in God's heaven. For this is the plan of the father that you receive Jesus as son of God, as God in the flesh. You must receive him as God in the flesh and you must receive him as a human being who died for your sins, rose again from the dead. You must believe these things. If you do not where he is, you cannot come. You must believe in who Jesus claimed to be. Okay. Son of God, son of man. But anyway, let's continue. Let's going to bring this part to a close, at least this section of it. 35, the Jews then said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intended to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this statement that he said, you will seek me and will not find me and where I am, you cannot come. So again, <laughs> the people are confused as Jesus keeps telling them he come from the father. They reject that. He is taught of the father. They reject him. They reject his learning. Jesus said, because you yourselves don't know the father, but they are confused with Jesus simply saying he will leave and they won't be able to find him. And they begin to ask themselves, say amongst themselves. And they're grumbling about Jesus's statement that, well, where is he going to go that we can't find him? And they say, is he going to go to the dispersed? Among the Greeks, that these were Jews, we know, without giving a history lesson, you guys are well of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, that is during basically the time, 586, 587, he destroyed Jerusalem, and there were many Jews who were dispersed in Babylon, and also even thereafter, we see during the time when the expansion of the Greek Empire to the coming of the Roman Empire, coming of the Roman Empire, that Greeks were dispersed, I'm sorry, that the Jews were dispersed among the Greeks in many different parts of the world. So you had Jews and other, so that's, they're just simply saying, is Jesus going to go to these Greeks in the dispersion, Greek Jews dispersed over here? Or is Jesus going to now turn to the Greeks and begin to teach the Gentiles? What in the world is he talking about? He's going to go to a place where we cannot go. We don't understand what he means by this. But Jesus was speaking simply, as we stated earlier, of returning to heaven. But once again, we see the people not understanding Jesus's statement. Okay, so let's stop there. So what was happening? We, been, we, we opened it up, feast of booze, 
booze, tabernacles, Sukkot, okay? In gatherings, all of them saying the same thing. Seven day feast, but the idea and the expectation was that the Messiah should present himself during this festive time to the which he would give the Jewish people peace. He would establish Israel as the head of all the nations and the Messiah himself would reign over all of the world, bringing worldwide peace. This was the idea of the expectations of tabernacles. So that's what Jesus' brothers meant when they said, fine, it's the booth time. Go show yourself to the people if you're the Messiah. And Jesus simply said, it's not time. And that's the whole issue. It was not the time for that. And also it inferred, it implied, it implied what? His crucifixion. Why? Before Jesus reigns and rule over the world, he must first die for sin. And so Jesus nevertheless went to the feast and he made himself known as he began to teach. When he began to teach, the people saw him and they began to question, is he or is he not the Messiah? And that's when the Pharisees and the religious leaders tried to shut all of this down, this foolishness about Jesus being the Messiah down. They tried to shut all of that down and they send men out to arrest Jesus. But nevertheless, Jesus made it known to the people and especially their religious leaders of their hypocrisy. You have a problem with me because of what I'm doing on the Sabbath day, making a man whole. But look at you. You make a man unwhole by giving him circumcision to complete the law. You're not judging in a righteous vein. But nevertheless, the people quarreled over him and his claim to messiahship and the Romans. I'm sorry. And the leaders of the people, their religious leaders, sent soldiers out to arrest Jesus. OK, they're trying to end all of this. But remember now, the whole issue is to seize Jesus. Why? To bring about his hour. What is the hour always talking about here in this context? The death of Jesus. But remember what we've been saying. He must die according to the timetable, the place, the manner and means by which the father has already prescribed. They have sent the soldiers out to get Jesus, no doubt with the intent to kill Jesus, to bring his hour to pass. Will they succeed? And that's where we'll start next time, guys. We'll stop right there. Thank you for joining me with all of that. Join me next time as we continue on the end of chapter seven with the return of the soldiers back to the leaders who sent them and how they were not able to seize Jesus. But We'll talk about all of that in our next video. And by the way, thank you for those who support the ministry and the contributions you've made. Thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. And for others of you, if the Lord has blessed you and the Lord has touched your heart through these teachings, will you support this ministry? There is a link in the description that shows how you can support this ministry. And I'm asking you, not just only for one time, offering of support, but come alongside of me so we can continue monthly support. So we can continue to do what? To make these videos and your learning and knowledge of the scripture can be increased and you can really understand the depth of what these writers are talking about. Like what? The Feast of Booths. Why are the brothers of Jesus urging him to go at this time? Well, the depth of the knowledge of scriptures can be brought to you. So support me 
in all of these things. But nevertheless, thank you. See you next time.